0: There are two words, or rather a single phrase that's been floating around online at the moment and and whether you know what it means or not I'm sure you've heard of it and it's this Cancel culture Some of you are nodding your heads and if you're not familiar with it here's the wiki definition because I only thought of this last night so I copy and pasted this Cancel culture or call out culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of Social or professional circles, whether it be online, on social media, or in person, those subject to this ostracism are said to have been cancelled. In other words, and to put it more bluntly, our society is continuing to move towards this toxic way of thinking and acting toward one another, where if someone acts in a way or, or even so much as says something that doesn't quite fit with common ideologies then there's no place in society for you. There's no place in the day-to-day working of society for you unless you make some sort of big public apology. And even then, that apology has to be in line with those ideologies. Do you get me? You know, this could be something that you've said or done recently or it could be something that, as we've seen recently on the news, it could be something from our past that comes back to haunt us. It's coming for journalists, it's coming for musicians, it's coming for, for, for authors. Soon I think it's going to come for the church, that's not my point. But the problem with that way of thinking is that there is little room for forgiveness, isn't there? We've been going through Matthew's Gospel since the start of the year. And throughout Matthew's Gospel we see the disciples witness and wonder who Jesus is. We see them grasp something of his majesty and his authority and then we see them blunder and argue among themselves. Who's the greatest? Missing the point of what Jesus has been teaching them the whole time. In these last few weeks we've been taking it slow and steady through chapter 18 thinking about living life as part of this family that we've been called to. This new community that Jesus is establishing. And part of what we've been hearing is that in this family, there is no room for this cancelling way of thinking that's around us. One writer I came across online summarised chapter 18 well. Let me summarise his summary for you. He says, firstly, that no care is too great when dealing with the little ones, those who are vulnerable among us. He says, no risk is too great when seeking out those who are lost. And thirdly, no effort is too great when trying to restore broken relationships, when sin raises its ugly head within the church family. I thought that was really helpful. No care is too great, no risk is too great, and no effort is too great. Ian's points last week were go and no, right? Well, this week we're going for no, And show, just to confuse you even more, okay? And we're right at the end of chapter 18. If you've got your Bible, please turn there. It'll be helpful. We're going to sort of be crawling through the passage, uh, Matthew 18, that that Wendy just read for us. And we're right at the end of our, um, as Ben said earlier on, um, our time in Matthew for now. Uh, And after everything that Jesus has been talking about throughout chapter 18... All credit to him, Simon Peter, who we've seen has a rather foot-shaped mouth at times, seems to have actually grasped something about what Jesus has been saying. That in this family, there must be forgiveness. Mercy. So that's our first point. Knowing mercy. Read with me. Verse 21 then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me see this is a big moment for Peter okay he's recognised that the people in this family are going to sin against him and hurt him and that he in turn must forgive them he says sure I can be gracious but exactly how gracious that question's you know not far from our own minds is it you know, I know in myself I can often have the mindset of, you know, I'll do what I need to do and no more. You know, I've recently moved into my, um, my flat and it came in one of those little, you know, the little smart meters that you get for you, for your electricity. Uh, and it sits in my kitchen and I can tell you, probably quite unhealthily for myself, I can tell you how much water I need to pour into my kettle and how much electricity it's going to use and cost to boil that water. It's two pence by the way. I went, every morning I go for a shower for a very specific amount of time, twenty pence. I know exactly what it should be, and I tell you, when it starts going over that, showers off, kettles off, I'm not using it. Maybe I'm just a tight Scotsman. I don't know. But to be fair to Peter, he's been quite generous here. You know, the teaching of the Jewish rabbis at the time was that you only had to forgive somebody three times, maybe four, and here. Peter has more than doubled that. What does he say? Seven times. And so on the one hand, he's playing the teacher's pet. Yeah, I'll do a bit for, a bit more. I'll go a bit further than what I'm supposed to. And on the other hand, he's like, but even then, surely there must be a limit. I can't just keep forgiving people. And yet Jesus doesn't quite tell him off, does he? Verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some of your Bibles might say 77. Some of your Bibles might say 70 times 7. And I'm not an expert in first century Greek, and so I'm not pretending to be an expert, okay? But for what I can pick up, it's, it's a bit of a play on words, and so I wonder if it sounded more like, just for illustration, if Peter had said, Jesus, should I forgive 79 times? And Jesus' response is, Peter, not 79 times, but 710 times. Do you get what I mean? That's a bit weird, I know. And for those of you that like your symbols and your numbers in the Bible, the number seven often represents completeness, wholeness. Don't worry if you don't understand that, but what I'm trying to get at is that Jesus isn't saying, okay, Peter, 70 times 7 is 490, and so that's, that's your limit. But instead, he's saying, Peter, mate, who's counting? Stop counting. And even if we did try to keep count all 490-odd times, surely by that point forgiveness would become second nature to us, right? And yeah, this advice may well work out in, out in the world with non-Christians. And you know, non-Christians often say to us, you know, you're Christians, aren't you supposed to be all forgiven and all that? But you know, what's the context here? What is Jesus primarily speaking about? Life in the family. The church. Life in the family of Christian believers, our brothers and sisters around us. Those who are all called to have that same mindset. And as Jesus does, he goes on to use a parable to explain further what he means. And often, as it is with Jesus, his parables do more explaining than his actual explanation does. And we see that here. This parable is only found in Matthew's Gospel, and it's not too surprising Matthew himself being a tax collector and being all clued up on money and accounting and all that. And so I wonder if this particular parable that Jesus told was significant for Matthew. Maybe it stuck with him, I don't know. I'm purely speculating. Um, But we could split this parable into two scenes to help us. Or if it was a play, two acts. Okay, so here's the first act. Let's read together, verse 23. Let me get some more. Verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. We could say it's the financial year end or something. That's a term that I've learned while I've been at REC. He's checking everything adds up. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Right. Where are all the accountants at? I need you. There's a few of you. 10,000 bags of gold. Okay? Or again some of your bibles might say 10,000 talents. We're going to do some maths, right? And if you're worried about getting confused, you can switch off for a moment and I'll call you back in a second, right? 10,000 talents. A talent was a unit of measurement and that was our currency. And one talent, is on the screen. Yeah, one talent is equal to 6,000 denarii. The average wage for a day's work was probably about one dinar, give or take a day. Okay, and, and they probably worked about six day weeks, and so that's about six dinari a week. Are you following? Maybe. Who knows? Here's a question: How many weeks would it take for someone uh, for for their gross pay? Well, that's another word I learned as well. For their gross pay to be six thousand. Denarii. Shout out. 1,000 weeks. That's about, what, 19 years. This man owes 10,000 talents. Right, the rest of you can start listening again. Do you see where I'm going with this? This man has no chance of paying back what he owes. And to stress it even more, the number that Jesus uses for 10,000 is the highest number that the spoken Greek language of the day actually had a word for. It's where we get our English word myriad from. And so when Jesus says that this man owned owed 10,000 talents, what the disciples and the original readers hear is that this man owes about a million quid. Or maybe even like a billion quid. I'm not just trying to be silly, but maybe even a zillion quid. This is the extent to which this man is in debt. And it's not just to his mate. It's not to his mum or his dad. But to the king. Are you beginning to see the situation that this man has found himself in? No, I don't think you do. Look at at verse 25. The debt is so great that the solution, or rather the punishment, is that the man and his wife... And his kids, and all that he had, is ordered to be sold to repay the debt. Surely the king knows that that adding all that up, it's not going to come to a zillion pound. I can tell you the contents of my flat in Rotherham doesn't come to a zillion pound. But when we start to talk about debt and owing God something, some of us will be sat here in the hall or at home, and you're thinking, "What? I don't, I don't owe God anything. If anything, God owes me something." And there'll be many here, whether for the hundredth time or for the first time, feeling that you've been brought face to face, face to face with that debt that, that we owe God. If you haven't quite caught on yet, the the debt that we owe God isn't financial, but it's our sin. And as we are brought face to face with that, doesn't the servant take the words directly from our mouths? I want to do something about it. I want to make it right. What can I do? What does he say? Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before the king. He says, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. What can I do? Let me do something. And yet, we've just seen that the price is so overwhelming, there's no chance he's going to be able to pay it. And yet, what we read next is truly, truly remarkable. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him cancel the debt and let him go. What kindness. What mercy the king has on his servant here. See, at the king's own expense he cancels the debt owed and says to the man "And you go on your way. He lets him go. See the king sees and he hears the man's helpless situation in paying this monstrously unaffordable debt and he doesn't just give him more time as the servant asks him but instead he goes a step further and scraps the debt altogether. What's the most money you've ever seen in the flesh? Has anybody ever seen a million pound in front of them? Has anybody ever seen a hundred thousand? No? Has anybody ever seen a thousand pound in front of them? Okay, some yeah. Can you even begin to picture what a million pound actually looks like? I wonder if when we think of our sin, you know, when we're in church and when we're singing of how awful our sin is, and when we pray and when we sing of the forgiveness that we have received because of our sin do we tend to think of our sin being one or two particular things? Do we tend to think of you know know, once I get this one thing under control then I'll be okay? Well I know I do. And when we think about how awful that one sin is, how unclean it makes us before God, how it consumes us, how we carry it about all the time with us. Let me tell you, that's only a very small portion in comparison to the vast unpayable sum that we owe. Our king. It's like a hundred bills coming through your door, you know, at the one time, and you open one, and it says something like £10,000 and you're like, how am I going to pay for that? And you're so distraught and consumed with the sum of that one bill, what am I going to do? That you've not even opened the other 99 that is just as hefty. And yet, every day we go through our lives, every time we catch ourselves in sin, every time we hurt one of our brothers and sisters around us, every time we stumble and fall, sometimes a lot harder than others, we begin to visualize more and more that large pile of debt that's before us, that's hanging over us. And more and more we start to visualize what a million pound actually looks like. But on the other hand, the more we see the debt, The clearer we see the cross, right? It really puts the cross into perspective. The more vividly we see the suffering of Christ, our King, who at his own expense pays off our great debt, not with money, but with his blood. Friends, Jesus paid it all, all of it. More and more we learn of God's mercy to us. Not just how patient he is with us, but that in Christ he doesn't just cancel us, but instead he cancels the debt that is against us because King Jesus pays it off for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news for those who trust in Jesus. And it's our prayer that That this would be true for every one of you that hear this. And verse 27 can be true for us. The king took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. There's a great hymn written over the last few years that we just sang it, we've listened to it. It's it's honestly had me in tears at times and I'm so glad we've started using it at REC. It's just a shame that it's been over this last year at a time where we're not actually allowed to sing it. Um, And there have been significant moments in these last... uh, few months where we've listened to this together and all I've wanted to do is sing this at the top of my lungs because of God's great mercy. Here's the third verse again. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost we stood beneath a debt we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more but what does that mean how should this change how we relate to one another in the family of the church here's our second point Those who know God's mercy, show God's mercy. So, showing mercy. Here's act two of our parable. And we're going to start with a perfect example of what not to do. Let's read. The servant leaves the king's presence, verse 28. He found one of his fellow servants... And owed, uh, who owed him a hundred silver coins now that's not an insignificant sum of money but, it, but it's pennies in comparison to the debt that he himself had owed the king and he grabs him and begin, begins to choke him and he says pay back what you owe me imagine that's like a Phil Mitchell moment in EastEnders I'm not going to impersonate him I've written it here but I'm not going to do it You know the sheer injustice right what's he playing at if I was watching this on TV, I'd be shouting at the television. Does he not realize the bullet that he's oh, that's the wrong word. does he not realize the mercy that's just been shown him by the king? That's what we're supposed to think. this man, his equal, might I add, owes my cheeky fiver verse 29 his fellow servant, it stresses that, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. We've heard that before, haven't we? If Jesus tells a story, he's not just had writer's block or some sort of lack of creativity. Excuse me. It's supposed to remind us of the first servant on his knees, groveling, begging for mercy. Again, not from his mate, not from his equal, but from the king. The difference is, this man owes him about it's about 100 days wages, so it's still a lot of money, for sure. But it's not an unreasonable amount of money that he, he couldn't pay over the long term, if, and with a bit of patience, I'm sure that this guy might actually have been able to pay off this debt. But no, instead... Instead, he's thrown into jail until he can repay the debt. No idea how he's supposed to be able to pay it from jail, but... Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Do you see, when we are unforgiving to someone, it not only affects that person, but it affects... It affects the the others around us too. It compromises the unity of the church, the unity of this family. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? On your fellow servant, just as I had on you. The original word order in Greek, again, not an expert, but it's, it's more striking than it is in our English version. It places the, all that debt before the I cancelled. And so it, it, it would read more like, You wicked servant. All that debt. And the king has him thrown into prison until he can pay back what he owes. And he's treated as his debt deserves. But what's even more striking is the words of Jesus in, in verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart friends that's not a legalistic thing you know it's not your get out of jail free card you know do this and receive from god but rather it's it's a demonstration of the knowledge and your awareness of the mercy that god has shown you it's the fruit of that Those who know God's mercy, who really know it, show God's mercy. Here's a question. Does the first servant really grasp the mercy and kindness that's just been shown to him? You know, with the way that he treats his fellow servant, I doubt he's grasped neither the weight of the debt of his own, uh, his own, ah, uh, the weight of his own debt, nor the depth of compassion and mercy that the king has on him, because otherwise he, he would have treated his mate differently. You see, our forgiving of others is a very present, very tangible picture of the forgiveness that we have received from above. It's a picture of the Gospel. And it's one of the many ways that we can reflect God's glory here in this broken world. American minister, uh, Bible teacher John MacArthur, he says this, that forgiveness is required of a believer because forgiveness is the most godlike act a Christian can do. Never are we more like God than when we forgive. That's got some punch to it, doesn't it? And it's inevitable that we, that we will hurt and upset one another. There may even be some of us here who themselves have hurt others and have experienced forgiveness by a brother or sister. If that's you. I'm sure it's all of us. How much more have we been forgiven by God? How much more have we been forgiven by our Heavenly Father? And so when we show mercy, we know God's mercy more and more. You know, knowing, showing, knowing, showing. You can go round and round. I was chatting to a mate yesterday about this talk. He's a trainee over at another church in Sheffield. And I told him I only had two points. And he was like, what? Two points? You need three. You, come on. If this was a three-point sermon, I think, the third, I think the third point would be knowing again. And the fourth would be showing. Go round and round. As we close, this is this is a good time to stop and think. Have we, have I, experienced God's mercy? Do we recognise the gravity of our own sin? The incalculable debt that we owe? And do we realise what love and mercy that is offered to us at the cross where Jesus bled and died to buy my, our pardon? Pardon? And many people look from outside into the church life and they think, wow, I want a piece of that. You know, maybe you've been coming to church for some time and haven't really made a serious commitment to this family. You know, are we coming along to church and trying to enjoy this family life without having knowledge of the mercy that God has shown us? Are we trying to enjoy the fruit of that without knowing what it's rooted in? Maybe you see something of the way that this family of believers treat one another. The way they love one another. The way they forgive one another. My friend, they're, they're showing to each other what they themselves have seen in the gospel. What they themselves have received from God. The Apostle Paul writes later in the New Testament this is in his letter to the Ephesian church he says be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you and again to the the Colossian church he writes bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone then it is again forgive as the Lord forgave you these are Christians that Paul, are, Paul is reminding. And so we ourselves need to be reminded to do as such. To forgive as we have been forgiven. I'm asking, hold me accountable to this. Please, hold the people around you accountable to this. It's our duty as a family, as brothers and sisters, to hold one another accountable. To remind one another of that. To forgive as we have been forgiven. You know, I'm not trying to be up here and look all holy and sorted out. And I'm absolutely not saying that forgiveness is easy because often it's painful. Because it jars with our our, our heart's natural disposition. And I'm sorry we've not spent more time looking at how we actually put all this into practice. And we'd be here for another half an hour. I've got football to watch but please do come and speak to us if you want to chat further uh, one one of the elders or the deacons so you know we've got these fancy t-shirts now you know find somebody that's got one of them partly it's that i'm i'm still young and trying to figure all that out for myself and but what i do know and i just want to finish with this what i do know what i've learned being part of this church family at rec particularly over these last few months is that life in this family, God's family, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are more sinful than we will ever understand. And yet, in Christ, we are more loved than we will ever truly know. And we see your love and mercy displayed so clearly to us in Christ, in his life, in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection. Father, may we live our lives in light of that. May we live life in your family in light of that forgiven one another as as you have forgiven us we are truly truly grateful for the lord jesus and, and for the price that he paid for us and father we pray in his powerful name amen amen